0: Loose ball. Ewan goes
1: up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. he, he scores. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down and the game is tied. Here is the ramping on Tucker. He turns, he shoots.
2: Yes. One second. Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports.
1: Welcome, everybody, back to another week of Pick and Pod. This is a WFUV Sports podcast. I'm Chris Percianen, here with Mike Calamari and Thomas Aiello, of course, to deliver you the latest updates on the basketball world. I mean, this isn't news exactly, but we just saw the U.S. win the gold medal. Uh, What a feat, you know, the team starting from uh, a little little bit of turbulence there in the beginning of their run, ending up with a gold medal. You have guys like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday able to to have a gold medal and Larry O'Brien trophy to show for their summer 2021. I mean. Those guys are having a great, great little summer vacation from the from the NBA being gold medal winners. Uh, France finished in second. We had, you know, some NBA players, former Nick Frank Nilakina, newest Nick Evan Fournier, both silver medalists there for a little bit of a local touch. But today, we're you know, we're going to start off mainly talking about the summer league. However, I'm going to throw it over to Mike and to Thomas to each give their take on the one free agent signing that has leaked over from last week to this week. It's, uh, it's a shame Kelly Bright is not here to give her take on her team's latest acquisition. Mike and, and Tom, the, the Boston Celtics have signed guard Dennis Schroeder to a one-year $5.9 million deal to presumably be their starter at the point guard position, Ayello. As seeing as how you are Miss Bright's uh, frequent co-conspirator here on Pick and Pod, I'll I'll let you go first. I mean, I see you laughing there on Zoom, but for our listeners at home, what's your take on this signing for Boston? Are you guys
2: familiar with Schrodinger's cat? Do you guys know what that is? Yeah you know what that is okay mike you know what that is
0: i'm not familiar maybe you should explain it for the last okay time.
2: so basically what it is is schrodinger who was a famous scientist he put a cat in a box and then there was a bag of poison in the box and the bag of poison would open at any given moment he wouldn't know when so this to me feels like schrodinger's cat and we would never know when the cat would die when the poison would open it was a it was an unknown variable so basically the point i'm trying to make here is that we don't know how the hell this is going to work for the Boston Celtics. Yes, they needed a point guard in principle. They got, I would say, a definitely above average point guard. Dennis Schroeder is a career 13-point uh, scorer. He's a career 33% shooter, and his assists went up this season to six a game so he's that's not from
1: in- that's from beyond the arc right 33 right, from beyond the oh arc. man i was about to laugh really hard no if no no if
2: it was 33 field goal <laughs> i i think he would be in uh in china right now
1: yeah a little bit but, of a shanghai shark sitch right
2: exactly but one of the things i think we need to understand is that he's not an incompetent point guard everyone is acting like dennis Schroeder is this uh beta sort of Something or other. I don't know what the perception is around him that people think he's just overall bad. He's not bad. Like he made it to the NBA and he was a damn good bench point guard for most of his career. And he could be like a spot starting point guard, like how in baseball we have spot relievers starting some games sometimes. That's what Schroeder is to me. He doesn't have to start. He really can't start every game. But you start him for 20 out of the 82 games, you know, he can hold it down. He he keeps the team intact. He can still run a proficient enough offense. And I think in Boston, with this role that he's going to get, is totally fine for him because he's not, not going to be asked to score 30 a game. Right. He'll probably score 15, 17 at, at best with five or six assists on a Boston team that needs a point guard. But the real issue here is just like Ezekiel Elliott, he fumbled. He fumbled big time. He turned out an $84 million four-year extension from the Lakers, claiming that he's worth a a near-max contract of like $120 million over five years. A lot of money. Let's be honest. I don't think any of us here would have thought he was going to get that. I don't think he even knew he was going to get that. He probably was just trying to maximize profit, and he really fumbled looking back on it now. Getting signed for one year for $6 million, that is... That, that, that is just that is really sad. And as Shannon Sharp said on Undisputed the, at the time of recording this, this was early this morning on um, August 11th, he said either Schroeder needs to fire his agent or he's got to fire himself. So someone has to go. Because we saw Nerland's Noel turn down that contract that the Mavericks offered him. And we also saw the same thing with DeMarcus Cousins. Now that was an injury, but he turned down money. But if you're an NBA player, and you have a chance to get paid like that, you, you can't you can't take risks. And Dennis Schroeder took a risk, and not only did he fall on his face, he 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 lost all his limbs in the process.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And I'm not sure if Chris or Thomas, you guys are gonna agree with me here, but I think there's a certain category of NBA players that are like pretty good that they probably deserve a certain amount of money, but you don't see them on a winning roster, and like Kelly Oubre is like that player too in my opinion and there's a reason why like him and Schroeder weren't signed until basically the last hour where you know Ubre goes to the Hornets now and we see Schroeder to Boston but these are players that a lot of like championship caliber teams don't really want to go to because they dominate the ball a lot they're going to take the ball out of your star player hands and they don't really add that much that it would be worth the money they're asking for so I think Schroeder was really not smart to turn down that money from the Lakers because I think it was also his best chance to win a championship in LA and he goes to Boston now. And we have no idea what kind of role he's going to have there. And he's going to really have to prove himself on this one year deal. If he wants to turn around and have a bigger contract. So it's really interesting to see how the, the market plays out, especially if you wait around and you don't sign quickly. I mean, the first two days of the free agency are probably the craziest we've had in years. And when you see Ubrey and Schroeder, guys like that, wait around to get signed They end up getting lower contracts because teams have probably spent a lot of their money. And you can make the case Schroeder's better than a lot of players. I mean, Jared Allen's getting five years, $100 with Cleveland. I think a lot of people would say Dennis Schroeder's a better player than him, but there's something to be said about striking early in the free agency market. And if you wait around for too long, you're not going to get your money, and you're going to end up in a situation that's probably not best for you. And I think that's the case here with Dennis Schroeder.
1: Yeah, I think I think Thomas made a good point regarding um, his on the court play. He has definitely not been a bad player uh, when he's been able to share the court with top talents. Now, in Oklahoma City, the three guard lineup that Billy Donovan liked to run, where he would incorporate uh, all three of Schroeder, Gilgis, Alexander, and Chris Paul into one five man lineup, he'd pair you know Gallinari and Nerlens Noel. Um, floor spacer and rim defender and he had one of the highest net rating lineups in in the entire NBA that year Um, the Utah Jazz's starters I think were the only five that really rivaled it and we know that they were a regular season machine Schroeder also this year didn't look terrible next to James and Davis on the Lakers the thing is that in Boston with the two main talents being Tatum and Brown on the wings. I get Schroeder having a role as a, a dribble penetrator point of attack defender, but with Marcus smart also on the team, do you go smart at the two and then Tatum at the four, you know, do, are you willing to make that adjustment or or you're then going to have to bench one of Schroeder or smart to, to play the other. And it's just, you know, they've reacquired Al Horford. They, they got some big men now. And I don't know if I, love how that's going to look on the court i i want to ask you both um i'm not sure what the the line of vegas is right now but just you know if i set my as opposed to a win total and we have teams like milwaukee brooklyn uh clearly at the top of the conference if i set the over under at the fifth and a half seed 5.5 in the Eastern conference. Are you taking the over or the under for next year's Boston Celtics now with this acquisition of Dennis Schroeder, Mike?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll go first. Uh, If when I think about it in my head and you say five and a half, I think Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, they're all going to be back in that top three. I think Atlanta could be in that four seed range based on what we saw from in the playoffs, they get John Collins back. So they really have most of their core back for next year returning. And you got to think those young talents there are going to be even better. Think about guys like Cam Reddish. I mean, Hunter, there are a lot of good talents there that you like to see make a jump into this next year. So I think they are probably going to be around their four seed, And then the question is, just is Boston, a fifth seed team. And I think with what New York's done, what Chicago's done, Charlotte's going to be better. I think there's a lot of competition in the East and, I'm not sure if Boston makes it. If I'd say right now, I'm saying they're not making that cut, and I forgot to mention Miami, they're probably one of the favorites to get that fifth seed over Boston. I don't think that uh, Dennis Schroeder or some of the perennial guys on this team are going to be huge difference, make, difference makers. I think it's going to come down to you know Jason Tatum, how he looks like in this next year, and what Luka Doncic does in Dallas, what it really shows you is that if one star can really be that guy for you, I mean, the sky's the limit. And if Tatum can really like take that next step in his game to carry this team, then I really think they have a good shot at the fifth seed. But if you had to ask me right now, I'm still going to go with Miami or New York in that fifth seed over Boston.
2: I think the one mistake, before I get to this pick, the one mistake that Boston made was not trading Marcus Smart at the draft because he's on expiring this year. Teams do need defense and decent three-point shooting and smart does provide both of that and he's a great energy guy people seem to like playing with him so I thought that was the one mistake that they made and that solves Chris going back to your shooting guard conundrum that kind of does solve it because then Brown is by default the, the two and then Tatum can just stick with being the three and then you can sign whoever to play the four but as far as the standings go the nba east it's going to be a very wild season i think that teams that were bad definitely got better i'm looking at um indiana i'm looking at chicago like they they traded first round picks that were somewhat valuable for nikola vucevic and i was wondering how aggressive do they want to get and they got damn aggressive in free agency um i'm looking at Miami, Mike, like you said, they're going to be sticking around. I think Atlanta's going to jump. The Knicks, of course, will always be annoying because that's just what they do. But I'm going to take the over on this. I think Boston bringing Horford back, adding Schroeder, who's I think maybe, again, he's not incompetent as a point guard. He's obviously not the best choice. He wasn't their first choice, I'm sure. But they're obviously going to try and go for Bradley Beal or someone next year like that. But I think that this roster, as constructed with just Tatum and Brown alone, can get them to the fifth seat. I don't think that it's lunacy to say that. And after Schroeder being totally emasculated by the media and free agency with just fumbling this contract and taking what he got now, I think this could be seen as bargain of the season because I feel that he's going to come out and perform for another contract and who knows, but Boston there's the leprechaun theory and Brad Stevens is a, a witch doctor. I think we can say he always gets the most out of players you least expect to give efforts for. So I think that Boston I'll take the over. They can definitely be a top five seed. It's not out of the question. The only thing that's, it's going to come down to is Ime Udoka. Is he a good coach? And yes, will these, will these pieces that have they've Imagine brought them. in Horford, yeah. Schroeder, whoever the power forward's going to be, who's playing shooting guard, are they going to fit on on this team? And are they going to fit to create a winning product on the floor
1: for sure? I think you know, Mike started listing teams. If we're going to forget, I think one you guys slept on was Miami. Uh, I'd say there's they're a surefire bet to finish ahead of Boston next year. I, I think you know the merits of paying Butler that much money long-term Lowry, that much money long-term can be debated, but this first year of that window, they're going to be a good team. And uh, between Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, New York, Atlanta. And I'm going to throw a name out there. That's not Chicago. I'm going to throw a name out there. That's not Chicago. I think Indiana has a chance of finishing ahead of Boston as well. Rick Carlisle, Just leaving the franchise, he's been a part of the heart and soul of for for quite a bit, winning a championship there in 2011. He's really got something to prove, and he's got a starting lineup of Malcolm Brogdon, Karis Levert, TJ Warren, DeMonte Sabonis, Miles Turner. He has guys like TJ McCollum and Chris Duarte making up a very capable bench unit. I think this is a team with a lot of talent that can fizzle out very quickly in the playoffs due to a lack of star talent but can get those regular season wins that a team just like the Knicks got last year with with pure effort and grit. I mean, teams like Brooklyn, of course, excel in the playoffs and, and maybe look like a whole other brand of team than they did in the regular season due to their, you know, they're a heliocentric team and the, that those sons, those stars of the team. When they turn on their engines in the playoffs and they're ready to go, it's, it's, you know, they're going to leave everyone else in the dust. But I think teams like New York and Indiana can finish ahead of a team like Boston, even if Boston has the best player out of, you know, Atlanta, New York, Indiana, Boston, Chicago, Boston and Jason Tatum has the best player out of all five of those teams, but if they had the worst record. I wouldn't be shocked. I want to talk next. All this talk about records and the playoff odds has me not reminiscing uh, because that would imply that these were good times. But just remembering being in the lottery for many years as a Nick fan. And of course, being in the lottery means you get a top draft pick. You have a selection to then go flock as a fan base to the summer league to go make overreactions about if they hit a single step back three pointer, they are the next Michael Jordan. If, if they miss one layup, they're a bust and it's guaranteed it's it's summer league, baby. It's the home of overreactions. Uh, And I want to get into this next. I want to pivot to the NBA summer league because I think that this draft class was loaded. (laughs) to say the least in that we're getting a lot of fun games, a lot of competitive games in this NBA summer league, and and just a lot of different opportunities to look at some different talent. I, I just wanted to start off by asking each of you, Thomas, you can go first. If there was a team or a specific young player who in this summer league you've had a strong reaction to now, whether it's, man, that guy's not as good as I thought, man, that guy's way better than I thought, man, that guy's just as good as I thought. Just give me a, give me a team or a prospect that so far in this summer league, you think it's not an overreaction to make, to make a claim about these guys, Thomas, you go first.
2: Yeah. So I've been pretty high on this guy throughout the college season. I watched a lot of him. Uh, I think Evan Mobley, well, I'll give you guys two. Evan. Mobley is my first guy who I'm super high on. I think he's just such a dominant, dominant player. And I think the fit next to him and Jared Allen is going to be great. I don't think Jared Allen's done getting better. I think that contract that he got's worth it. I think Evan Mobley is the perfect compliment next to him. Um, I'm sure they're going to buy out Kevin Love. I, I think that's pretty obvious at this point to clear the way for Mobley. He has Sexton and Okoro and Garland at his disposal as ball distributors. And,
0: and like Mobley... Cash- Um, Thomas, you're stealing my Cavs talk, but (laughs) sounds good. Sounds good.
2: Yeah, thank you. I I don't look, see, look, I don't watch much Cavs basketball, but when I do go online, I I see a lot of positive things about their back, about your backcourt, Mike. So I want to give you guys props of an offensive machine. Defensively, though, we need to do talk about that later. But Evan Mobley, regardless of anything I just said, I think is going to be one of, if not, maybe the most dominant player to come out of this draft class He's damn near seven feet tall. He runs like a deer. He can jump. He rebounds. He plays really, really good defense. And the other player that I'm going to call tell you guys about is Davion Mitchell, who I thought should have been a top 10 pick. I think him slipping was, was criminal to me. Davion Davion. Yeah. He went nine or nine. Oh, I'm thinking of oh, I'm you're
1: thinking, thinking of, of Mr. Book Knight.
2: Yes, who yes. went 11?
1: Who I think should have gone in a spot like nine yes. over Davion.
2: That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm sorry, Davion went ninth. Yes, Chris is correct, but Davion Mitchell, man, worldwide wob on. He posted a video on Twitter. That's a great account, by the way.
1: Rob Perez, madman. He, said, mad he man. said
2: getting guarded by Davion Mitchell looks like hell, and it's just him absolutely mauling. Uh, I forget who it was. He was absolutely Book mauling. Yeah, it was Booknight. Yeah, he was mauling Booknight, and Booknight wanted no part of it. I think Davion Mitchell is going to be an absolute monster. I think Sacramento understands that they suck at defense. I'm just going to say it. They are an atrocious defensive product. I, I threw up one time watching them play defense. It was really bad. But having Mitchell, Halliburton, Fox, that's a really good start to fixing that. I think all they need now is to find, you know, a rim protector. And I, I know that people claim that Bagley can be a good defender, but I, I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think Rashawn Holmes plays much defense in the paint. I think they're one real paint defender away from really starting to turn that around. But Davion Mitchell and Evan Mobley, I guess those are the two guys that I'm really, really impressed with so far in summer league.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go over to Atlanta and I'm going to talk about a guy that I mentioned on, I want to say about two weeks ago, I was on nightly and it was the day before the NBA draft, and we were talking sleepers. And my guy was Sharif Cooper, and he's someone that slipped far draft yeah. farther than anyone was expecting. That he should not have been on the board when Atlanta was on the clock. And he's really shown up in the summer league. I mean, he had 21 points in the win over Indiana, and he hit the game-winning three. So there's a lot to love with this kid, and he's really shown up and it is the summer league and you take it with a grain of salt. It's a tough way to evaluate players because they're obviously not going up against NBA talent. And some of the greatest NBA summer league players of all time turned out to really be nobodies when they got to the NBA. So it's hard to really judge it, but from what you're seeing from Sharif Cooper, you have to be excited if you're the Atlanta Hawks, because you have a serious guard to back up Trey young there. So if I'd say someone that was most impressed with, it has to be Sharif Cooper.
1: Sharif, man, I, I was really high on him pre-draft, and uh, I was a little upset the Knicks didn't get him. I was really happy that we got Deuce McBride though, so you know that 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 made me feel all right. That will compensate. I, I'm going to go to my Knicks just to quickly highlight some of their key performers. Uh, not, not just because they're my team, but because, you know, they're a local market and Emmanuel quickly Obitop, top and the two sophomores, both killing it so far. Quentin Grimes, I think Nick fans need to put out a little bit of patience. Um, I know with all of the, just all the fun over the last year it's tough, but Grimes is one of those guys who you've got to wait a little bit on because his role is going to be like that, that uh the bonus Bullock, the, you know, maybe dollar store Duarte kind of, kind of player who is a three and D guy who benefits from people like his guards or someone like Julius Randle creating open shots for him and in a summer league setting where guards like quickly and McBride are trying to get their own shots off. It's just, It's not really built for him to to see a featured role. He's knocking down a three here or there, but nothing crazy. I I think he'll benefit a lot from NBA spacing as opposed to the the more AAU environment in the summer league. Um, Going to Deuce McBride, though, some really, really impressive defensive play, some impressive pull-up shooting, offensive aggressiveness. um, Just a lot of things you like to see. I I think we're going to see him be one of the steals of the draft, considering the fact that he did fall all the way to 36. Um, I had him in the early twenties on my board pre-draft. So that, that to me was a steal for New York already, but... I just wanted to quick,
2: Chris, really quick. The one guy, I think the one thing we need to remember with Quinton Grimes, while he is a Chuck, he is a Chuck guy, like he just loves to Chuck threes. I think he's going to have an impact as a spot shooter immediately. I, I think that's what people don't understand because the Knicks needed three point shooting and they're not going to ask him to do much, but you are correct. You need time with this kid. And that's how it should be with every prospect. You can't expect them to be the magic key to open the door. And then all of a sudden you become insane. It's not like Mike, you're getting Michael Jordan here. Okay. Let's, let's get that out of the way because first of all, it's unfair to compare every prospect to him. And number two, you may never see a rookie have an impact like that ever again, unless your name is Will Chamberlain. But even then, Same concept here. So I think you are correct, Chris, with like, they need the Knicks fans need to give Grimes some time. I think the same needs to be said with McBride. You gotta, you gotta build it up slow. You can't rush to put these kids on pedestals immediately.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think Chris, you made a a really good point about like the AAU environment of the summer league. Some guys really look like they work really well in a high volume environment where they're getting the ball a lot and they're shooting a lot. And you know, with a guy like Quinn Grimes, I think he would work better in an environment where he just plays the cat and shoot ball and he doesn't have to be like the lead guy for this Knicks team. I don't think he was meant to be that when the Knicks drafted him. So I think the summer league serves different guys well. I think a guy like Jalen Green really looks amazing in the summer league right now because he did this for in the G League for a year already. And he's a guy who, if he has the ball in his hands a lot, he's going to be highly effective. But, you know, there's other guys right now that, are not that kind of player. I think Mobley might be as good or better in an NBA setting because he's got the size to post up in the NBA. And, you know, he can work without the ball better than a lot of these other guys in the NBA draft, in my opinion. Is he great with the ball? Yes. But I think that it really helps ball handling guys and uh, guys that work well with the, like, having the ball out and working the offense. I think that's what the Summer League suits to. And when they get to the NBA and they're going to be on the, like outside on the end, looking at the offense, and they're not holding the ball all the time. It's going to be the guys who have been there before, those kind of players that work off the ball better and don't need the ball all the time. I think sometimes are better not in that summer league environment. So I think that points to what you mentioned about the AAU and what Thomas you mentioned about, you know, he could work really well in a catch and shoot environment with the Knicks this year.
1: Yep. It's tough. Like I do, it's tough wanted, to I do, do to those quickly. overreactions in summer league.
2: Mike, I want to quickly jump off of a point you made where Evan Mobley can be better in an NBA setting. I think you're absolutely correct because on the Cleveland Cavaliers, he's not going to be asked to score the ball like he was at USC. You know, you have Sexton and Garland. They're obviously going to do a majority of the dribbling and the shooting. You also have Okoro who's going to take a step forward. Jared Allen usually gets, what, seven or eight shots a game, I'd say. Is that pretty pretty accurate?
0: Yeah, and and, and also with like the thing with Mobley is that I think that like Sexton and Garland are going to create a lot of opportunities for him and he's going to have to do less, like creating his own shot. I think that's going to really help him when he gets to the NBA and something like the summer league, he doesn't have those guards around him. I mean, he has a Coral there and the Corals looked great, but um, the guards he's going to really see when he gets to the NBA with Garland Sexton, that's going to really help his game. And he didn't really have that at USC. So I think there's a really good chance that he makes that really big step forward. And, you know, There's a lot of talk about Jalen Green and Kate Cunningham because obviously they're the ball-dominant guys and they're controlling the offense in the summer league. So it makes sense that they're looking really good right now. But I think someone like Mobley can step into the NBA and be a difference maker off the bat. And we could see that with Jalen Green and Kate Cunningham too, but it makes sense to me that they're the more dominant players in the summer league right now over Mobley. And like to bring it back to Quentin Grimes, we could see a different type of player when he gets in the next system with Tom Thibodeau. And how he works off the ball there with RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, you know, controlling the ball more. And now Kemba Walker there. So he's going to have a different role for the Knicks than he is for the Knicks in the Summer League. So a lot of it's relative with the Summer League. And in my opinion, you can't really judge anything off this. I mean, Lonzo Ball was the best player. He was the MVP and he's a really good NBA player, but he looked like the second coming in the Summer League. So it's really just <laughs> it's really just a judge and it's hard to make any you know, conclusions based on what we're watching in the summer league.
1: Yeah. I think it's really, um, really important to note going into summer league, like what you're looking for. Um, for example, I, I think you can have a more productive viewing experience. If you go into a game, you know, for example, last night, today being Wednesday, last, yesterday being Tuesday, last night's showdown of the Pistons and Rockets. If you go into that game and you say, I want to see what role they play Cade Cunningham in and how he does in that role. I want to see the same thing for Killian Hayes. I want to see how Sekou Dumboya does. I want to see how Jalen Green responds to the, the defensive pressure Detroit is going to apply to him. And you watch the game and you look for these specific answers. I think that's a better way to to draw conclusions from summer league, you know, than watching a game, seeing a, a player who's like 25 and who has played internationally, you know, stand out, drop like 26 points and being like, oh, my God, this guy should be in the NBA and he's a real impact player. Like, no, he's just playing against kids our age and he's 25. 240 pounds <laughs> like i'm not even thinking of a real person there are just there are lots of players on very they, they got to fill out these rosters man and they they grab international guys and different players you, you can't you cannot make sound conclusions from just raw game results you can't say hey that guy in this part of the box score had this and he's this because of this it yeah. doesn't work you gotta you gotta look case by case
0: i don't i want to jump in real quick no, go if, ahead You know, I'm not watching a ton of Nick Summerlee, but from what I've watched, I think like Obi Toppin, a guy is like, he's able to dominate a little more because he can just like out physical these guys he's playing. I mean, he's averaging 23 points, I think in the summer league. And, you know, a lot of his, like, he has second chance points. He wouldn't get in the NBA, his physical size. He's able to like, you know, out muscle these guys. And it's a lot because these are young guys, 19, 20 year olds. And, it's not going to translate to the NBA as much as we would hope. And I think you really have to look at the efficiency, how they move on the court, their basketball IQ. A lot of the intangibles are going to learn more from the summer league, just then looking at the box score and seeing how they do, because there's some things in the summer league that just aren't going to transfer to the NBA. And I think if a guy's not looking good in the summer league, you shouldn't be worrying about it. And if he's dominating, you should be all right, well, let's see what it's going to be like in the NBA because We're only in the summer league. We're not. He's not going up against the Kevin Durant's, the Kawhi Leonard's of the world. He's going up against, you know, the 19, 20-year-olds, G League players, second-round picks. It's just a tough comparison.
2: I think we're all guilty of this because I I was predicting years ago, years ago, this is like three or four years ago, that Kevin Knox would be an NBA All-Star. I'm guilty of that. And even though I met him one time, I was walking out of the garden and he just popped out of the hallway. Nice guy, really nice guy, but he, he just, he was not good. Summer league fooled me and I can say the same thing for other Knicks draft prospects. I we're going to stick with the Knicks theme here with the uh, R- R- Rokas, Jokobitis, Jokobitis. Am I saying that correctly? Roka,
1: Rokas, Jokobitis.
2: Oh Jesus. That. Like I'm never going to get that. Well, like he's he, he the hardest. Come on. It's yeah. Uh, is it? Yeah, probably not. I mean, Rokas, we thought like playing in, in Australia, he could be good. Like, Luca Vildoza is kind of turning into the same thing. I, think it's
1: I am. You know what? I'm gonna say it. I told everyone to not believe in Luke. I told everyone that Luca Vildoza was not going to be that good, and everyone was I, like, "Yeah, no, I, he was good in Argentina." I
2: was like, ah. yeah, like Argentina, you're playing against people like like us. You're playing like Mike Calamari,
1: 41 year old Luis." Colt. Yeah, like Shooting Chris, guard. Chris. Chris
2: is like the thirty seven year old all star. Man. It doesn't make any sense, and he comes here. It, he's just—he's not good. I think what we do know that he's good at, as there's thunder and lightning outside of my house, is that he's probably going to be a, a good shooter, but defense just won't be his thing. And that's just how all the international guys are, with the exception of Joel Embiid. I don't think. I don't think.
1: I don't. I don't know if you can make that generalization. I. It is. I mean, it's. Frank Ntilikina is an exceptional defender and has. Defender. Yeah.
2: It's. But I think the thing – the tr- the point I'm trying to get at is that these international guys, they're so one side of the spectrum that their other half of their games are just so not developed at all where it's almost a liability. Like, say – we can say eh, Nurkina. Maybe. I, I just – that's I what Killian I is I think
1: Killian Hayes is going to break is that, that example.
2: Either. I don't think he's that good. I don't, I don't think be that good. Della Vadova, people were saying he was – he could be starting point guard. I, I, I don't know how, what about, what
1: about Patty Mills, man?
2: I think Mills, Mills? He, he fulfilled his role as a, he, as a great decent, decent three point defensive kind of guy as that was too many adjectives. And we also look at Laurie marketing who essentially plays one side of the ball. Pokushevsky I think is the one exception I've seen in my lifetime where he's an international guy, but he actually knows how to play both ends pretty Pretty decently. I I mean,
1: uh, I think like, usman, uh, usman Garuba yeah. was one of the best prospects in the draft class. I think, think a poco like, can be a player. This anti-international narrative. I'm mean, not
2: anti. You know, like, I just, that's what I'm saying. I'm just what I I, see.
0: I mean, I think about like a like Tony Parker. I mean, he just came from international. He didn't okay. go to
1: the lead about. on Manu Ginobili. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I like this narrative. This, 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 Ricky this, Ricky this is being spun. This is a, this is being spun out of lies.
0: I think for stretch fours, there's a lot of stretch fours that come from Europe. and you know, Nico Melli,
1: yeah, not no defensive crowd.
0: Oh. You know, they can shoot threes, but they struggle defensively. But I think there's a lot of, like, guards and shooting guards, even small forwards that um, that play both ways very, uh, very well. I think, like, the guys like Christos Porzingis, you know, you think about Dirk Nowitzki, these are guys more that are, like, stretch fours that can, you know, knock down from behind the arc. And their defense isn't their strong suit, but I don't think – you, I mean, I think there's a lot of examples of great defensive players that come from, you know, Europe and other foreign countries.
2: Christophs Porzingis is not a stretch four. He's going to he, – he's a stretch my contract out, I'm so bad player. He's not even a stretch four. He's stretched my contract out. That's how bad he is. But that's
0: another life. argument about Porzingis. But from what I remember, especially in his time in New York, he was a stretch four, really, or a stretch He, five, he was good here. If you want to call great. it.
2: I think I mean, the one problem with Porzingis – is that he doesn't have drive that a lot of people expected him to have. Because when he came, first came into the league, Chris, you remember how determined he was to to, to shut up the fake news people. And he, he did a pretty damn good job, I would say. But once he went to Dallas and he got all that money, I question where his heart has gone because I don't think he wants to play sometimes. He just looks lost. Now, we are, I want to just jump back to the international thing because I am – kind of getting off track here. But the point is that I'm trying to make is that the international players, they're such wild cards. I think most of them, there are a few exceptions, like you guys said, with Ginobili, with Parker, Tony Kukoc, I don't think we can say was a wild card, but a lot of these other guys are just so, so unknown that, I mean, you take the chance, you roll the dice and it works out great. But sometimes it's just, it's like, an, like a draft pick. It's a bust. And you don't know that, but that's the point I'm trying to make with the international guys.
1: I, I think i think i think that that will be proven um debatable over the next few years by the, the the prospects that are coming in we're getting some really talented players out of europe and and different countries who can just i mean they can just do stuff with the basketball man look yeah, at and, and, Alper and Sengun it. on the Rockets Usman Garuba actually the Rockets are the perfect team to bring up they drafted Sengun and Garuba Sengun um might fit your I guess stereotype of like one-sided as a player he's really good offensively and and really troubled defensively Garuba though is really really good defensively and, and looks looks good offensively fine offensively I think uh I, I think both of those guys have potential to develop not into. Two, maybe Garuba more a two-way player, but Sengun just certainly playable. Um, I, I don't know. I and like international I mean, prospects.
0: You think about, like, the Olympics this year. is no cake for Team USA, at least not in the beginning. I mean, it kind of shows that, you know, the game's growing globally, and maybe not right now. These uh, international prospects are all, you know, being great in the NBA, but I think slowly over time we're going to see more and more guys like Doncic or like Jokic, you know guys that, uh, you know, are going to come into the NBA and be difference makers from the start.
1: For sure. I want to go around. We'll, 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 before we wrap up this episode, I want to want to head around the, uh, the circle here one last time for another open-ended question this time, just curious. And, and I really just, it's, it's more of a, uh, celebration of the league's young talent than it is a a test of your guys's preferences. Cause I, you know, I, I feel any answer would satisfy here, but just whether it's your own team or another's Mike and, and Thomas, I know you might both be inclined to answer with the teams you root for with to this question, but just after this NBA draft and, and with the NBA summer league having started, is there a young core in the NBA that, that really excites you, that you really see a lot of promise in. I, I think I'll get started this time and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to shout out a team that does not, has not, and likely will not see much media coverage for the next couple of years. And and I, I think they had a, nearly a perfect draft and it's the Orlando magic. They sat at five and let Jalen Suggs fall into their hands. They had eight let book night, Davion, some of the other players that were selected immediately after go past in favor of Franz Wagner, who can come in, you know, Jonathan Isaac being injury prone Wagner, a good defensive player switchable defensively and with some offensive potential as well. But, you know, with how many ball handlers Orlando has and adding Suggs to the mix I love Wagner as a pick because he doesn't need the ball in his hands at 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 the start you know he's not going to be demanding pick and roll touches from the start he'll be hitting catch and shoot threes and contributing on defense hopefully for him that'll be about it so he can just ease in um but it's Suggs Wagner being added to R.J. Hampton Wendell Carter Jr. who they they now extended they have Markel Fultz They have Jonathan Isaac, a fascinating wing defensive specialist. I I think I really like what Orlando has going. Um, And and I think one of the reasons I like it is that it's still very unmolded. Um, They don't have pressure or expectations. They can just kind of let their young guys vibe, for lack of a better word, figure out what they really are and move on and figure out what the best fits around them might be. But I just love the talent they already have in the building. Mike, if you wanted to go next.
0: Yeah, I mean, I am so tempted to go with my Cleveland Cavaliers, but I think everyone's sick of talking about them. I do think they have a great core, but I'm going to shift, and I'm going to go Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, I was really impressed with what this team did in the play-in games and the playoffs last year, and they really impressed me, and I think John Morant's going to be back. He's going to be great. I think we can see Jaron Jackson make a really big jump. Dylan Brooks is going to come back. I mean, they've got some guys there, and they've got some experience with, you know, Stephen Adams is going to be there next year. You know, it, to me, this seems like a team that has a young core and can really make a leap in two or three years. And I think Zaire Williams is a really good pick for them. So they've got a lot there and maybe not this year or the next year, but I think if John Moran can build this team up, I think there's reason for him to stay and they can maybe be a playoff contender in a year or two. So that's my team for a young group of guys that I'm really interested in.
2: Thomas? I'm gonna- I'm going to jump out to the Pacific Pacific Ocean before I get to my team. First of all, I want to just uh, yell at the Portland Trailblazers for acting like a 45-win team with Damian Lillard on the roster and not trading first-round picks when they should have traded for star players. I just wanted to get that out of the way because it's something I had to say. But I'm going with the Golden State Warriors because I feel that the draft that they had with Mr. Kaminga from New Jersey and Moody Moses uh, from Kendrick right. Perkins' is. Oh, I was to say <laughs> Moody Moses, Moody, Mo, Moody, Mo, Moody. Like you're trying to say on the, Mo, on the track, track was Mo. so, oh, so bad. But besides the memes, I think that Golden State, they clearly are trying to extend either this window or get ready for the next great Warriors team. I think Mr. Kaminga and Mr. Moody are two really good starts to that. Now, I think the one thing that, I hope, I hope they don't do this. I really hope they don't do this is that they're in the running for Ben Simmons and Chris, we'd talked about it last episode. My quick summary for that. Basically I said, Philadelphia should not trade Ben Simmons for, for garbage because everyone's like, Oh, trade Ben Simmons to get shooting. Well, you really shouldn't trade Ben Simmons for buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley. And now the new trade that's come out, is that Ben Simmons for Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins? No, that that's even worse than the, the the healed Bagley trade. So I am completely anti Ben Simmons. Even I know that the age thing, but Draymond is their defensive everything, and he is not an introvert like Ben. Without Draymond, they don't win three championships. Without Draymond Green, there's no leadership in that locker room. Without Draymond, there's not a lot of things. With Ben Simmons, you wouldn't get anything that he provides off the court. But I think regardless. Golden State with Kaminga and Moody Moses have done a fantastic job. I'll say his name right, Moses Moody. They've done a fantastic job with um, supplanting the next great Warriors team. No,
1: i I think that uh, I think that you're right, and I think that those are two really good picks and two players that I had, and I believe. I mean, I can tell you right now, Kuminga was the fifth player on my draft board, but Moses Moody was number seven. Um, I was really high on him pre-draft. Just, I think his floor is high, his ceiling also high, Um, not as high as other players like Green or Mobley or or Cunningham. Mobley, by the way, Mike just finished a summer league game. I believe he had about 15 points and seven rebounds. Not the best shooting percentages, but hey, you'll take it. Um, I I just want to say, you know, around the league, we see superstars demand a lot and Steph doesn't really seem to be one of them. He doesn't demand a lot of things. And I think that if I were him, I would have flexed that power a little bit before this draft because Kuminga, even Wiseman in last year's draft, these are two players who can be impact players in due time, but are literally going to be like negatives to start their career. Wiseman was that he was a negative player. Um, when you have Steph Curry in his prime, you just don't do that. The Warriors are operating like a business. And right now is the time, like you spend all this time trying to get a player of Steph's caliber just to blow the end of your window with him so that you can be best set up to try to maybe get another player. You have him in the building, maximize the window and go out and either acquire win now talent or draft win now players, I I think that, Kuminga and Wiseman, again, two players that will be good. Kuminga will be very good, in my opinion. Wiseman, all right. Um, I just think neither was a solid pick for the Warriors philosophy-wise, even if even if uh, basketball-wise in due time, they'll be good players. But, you know, zooming out, you have Golden State, Orlando, and um, Memphis highlighted by us here at the end. Other teams that I'll give quick shout-outs to uh, that I hate to do, Atlanta you know, bringing in Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper, who have both looked good this summer league, as Mike mentioned earlier with, with Cooper and Charlotte, Charlotte bringing in James Booknight there at the 11th pick Kai Jones at the 19th and JT Thor in the second round. One of my favorite upside swings in the draft. I had him. Is in the he worthy? Roundabout. Is he I, worthy? I think, I think in due time, he okay. will be very worthy. Okay. Um, essentially. You know, like how in every year there's like a three and D wing, but he actually can't really do anything. But if you can mold him and like really coach him up, he can be like a a good three and D player. That kind of built, yeah. Imagine he was six foot ten, and, and could shoot pull up mid range jump shots. That's JT Thor. So I, I would say that he absolutely has the potential to be worthy. Some other teams whose young cores I love, and then I've, I've got to give a quick shout to Grimes, McBride, Sims, even Rokas Jokubaitis here in New York. And um, oh God, it pains me, but I'll go cross town to Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp. I, I I'm not super high on, but Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas is going to be in the middle of some heated debates this year. Nets fans are going to be very high on this kid very early on. Watch out for it. However, it looks like here on this program, the, uh, the debates will not end, but this show must now. So we're here, Thomas Ayello, Mike Calamari, and I'm Chris Perciane, and bringing you some summer pick and potting, some summer leagues, some free agency analysis. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week, as always, with the latest on the basketball world, analysis, you name it. This Pick and Pod has been a podcast production of WFUV Sports. For Mike Calamari, for Thomas Ayello, I'm Chris and signing off and thanking you all for listening.